I will go ahead and read the scripture that Ryan's going to preach from today. It comes from Acts 12, beginning in 25 and going a little bit through chapter 13. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit of truth and that, God, that your word is available to us and that your spirit is alive and active in us. So we pray that your word will go forth this morning. We pray that we will honor and respect the word that you've given us and that our hearts and minds will be soft. God, I pray that we'll hear from you. I pray that you will speak through Ryan and that his words will fall away and that your word will remain true and steadfast and strong. I thank you for this church. I thank you for um, calling us and making us your own and loving us and giving us a time to gather and worship you and learn from you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm glad you're here because we're going through a series called As You Go, and it's a series through the book of Acts. We're just seeing that, that not only is the, is the book of Acts descriptive in what happens in the journeys that Paul and his companions go on, but it's also prescriptive uh, as a way for us to live as, as the church. So we're going to see both of those happening as we look at Acts 12 and 13 this morning. I was on the phone with a guy in our church, and he said to me, I was on Friday, and, and he said, when are you going to be done with the, with the book of Acts, this series? And I'm thinking to myself, man, either, either my, my sermons have been like not very good, or, or there's something else uh, behind this, and, and, and I hesitated to answer him, and I said, you know, uh, probably the end of 2018, I don't know, like we're just going to keep going. And he said, oh, okay, I was hoping that we, that we could learn something more comfortable and palatable. <laughs> And I think we would all agree that, that uh, that's what it's been like walking through the book of Acts. It's been 
kind of a gut punch for us all, and, and it's been challenging, and it's been good, and none of us are off the hook uh, in that. So with that in mind, let's just go ahead and dig right in this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts 12, 25, and, and we're going to dig in there. And I, I've just got a few points that I want to make from, from the text this morning. The first one is this, worship always leads to mission. Worship always leads to mission. The second, second thing I want to say is this, to follow Jesus is to be sent. And the, the, third, the third thing that we're going to look at is this, is there's a, there's a pattern of gospel ministry. There's, 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 there's kind of a thing that we see in the scripture that happens when you, when, when you set out to be a minister of the gospel, which all of us who are followers of Jesus are. So, so we're going to dig into that, that first point here this morning, uh, that, that worship always leads to mission. And a frequent realization that, that we address at New City pretty often is that Everyone on the face of the planet is a worshiper of something. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not in here, you are worshiping something. And, and I would go, go on to say a little bit more that not only are you worshiping something, but you're on a mission chasing the object of what you worship. There is a, there is a trail that you're, that you're on that is chasing what you worship. There we're, we're, we're after something uh, together. For instance, let's just say that, you know, maybe someone were to worship material possessions. They might spend a lot of time shopping. Maybe there would be a consistent discontentment within their soul because of all of the things that they don't have. Maybe there would be an extraordinary preoccupation with how to attain new things. This, this would be the mission um, loads of work to, to accumulate money, lots of time on Amazon Prime, <laughs> bookmarking things, right? Um, lots of times in the store, different seasons and rhythms that you live in a certain way so that you can get to what you're after. I mean, that's just an example. Uh, as I study the Bible and the Bible studies me, uh, I see this consistent one-two punch, especially in the book of Acts, that worship of Jesus leads to participation in the mission of Jesus. It always happens like that. And, and uh, Acts chapter 12 and 13 is, is no exception. And his mission is that the world might worship him as the one true God that he might receive maximum glory. That's his mission in the world. And followers of Jesus are about that mission the way that Jesus was about that mission when he lived as he lives even through us today. So as we pick up in Acts 12 and 13... This story continues uh, in this church that's in the city of Antioch. Now, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Antioch uh, is one of the most diverse cities in the known world at this particular time. And, and it was this, this band of disciples that actually remained nameless in the scriptures that began to, to start sharing the gospel, not with just Jews, but also with Gentiles. And the, the church caught on fire and it just started to grow. So much so that the church in Jerusalem said, we got to go check this out. And so they sent the most encouraging guy for the job, Barnabas, to come and check it out and encourage them because being a Christian in a complex community had to be hard work. Well, Barnabas gets in there. He realizes this thing is of the Lord. The Spirit is all over this thing. But he realizes, hey, I'm in over my head. So he hunts down the Apostle Paul who's out in Tarsus after his kind of blindness to sight conversion 
uh, kind of laying low, and he calls kind of he, he calls Tars- he calls Paul back onto the field, and then they labor in Antioch for for a year, and then they go to Jerusalem and they take some they take they take funds to the church that's struggling because of the famine, and now they've come back, and we see this in Acts twelve twenty five. So let me just remind you of what we've read, uh, so we can see the story and, and pick up there, starting in verse twenty five of chapter twelve. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem, and when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were uh, in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now, I I want you to pay attention to to these people, okay? I'm not going to pronounce them as well as Megan did, but you're going to get the point. Um, Barnabas, um, who who I've just mentioned, uh, Simeon, uh, who was also called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, that's that's in in uh, northern Africa. Uh, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Okay, that's the guy who killed Jesus, by the way. And Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them." Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We're, we're Basically what's happening in Acts chapter 12 and 13 here is we're eavesdropping on a worship service happening in Antioch, okay? So, so we're, we're kind of listening in. There's this kind of this, this, this two-dimensional kind of movie that we're watching that's, that's happening before our eyes of this worship service in Antioch that includes the spiritual discipline of fasting and, and praying, they're, they're worshiping the Lord. They're denying themselves and their pleasures to more intently seek the will of God. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a complete miracle that these people are in the same room. Would you agree? I mean, this is wild to see this diverse of a community uh, together worshiping. And I, I think there were more people there, but it was no less than these five or so here. So we got Paul and Barnabas here. Um, I, I, I told you who Barnabas was. You know, Paul was this... He's basically the, the, the patriarch church planter of the church. He's converted in a miraculous way. Uh, he, he's, he's called a disciple because, or an apostle because Jesus is the one that meets him on the road to Damascus. And, uh, and he has this experience and he begins preaching almost immediately after his sight is restored. And then he's kind of laying low in Tarsus. So he's back on the scene now. And then we've got these other guys like like Simeon, who's from Niger, and he's this African brother uh, who had a much different cultural heritage than the other guys. And he's here in Antioch. We're not sure why he's there, but he's there. I think it's because the Holy Spirit's doing something. He's been sent there to be a part of what is happening and what God is doing in the church. And then we've got Lucius of Cyrene, who's also from, from Africa. And, and last but not least, Manaean. So th- this... Manaean was, was basically, as, as I looked and I dug into this a little bit, he was Herod Antipas. So this was the guy who, who beheaded John the Baptist and also uh, was a part of Jesus being crucified from the Roman uh, kind of political side of things. He was the tetrarch over the region of Judea. And, uh, and, and so he was kind of over that thing. And, and this guy, Manaean, was basically Herod's foster brother. He grew up with him. He lived in his house. So what, what types of things would Manan have seen in his life? Well, he would, have, he would have lived with a family that hated Christians. That made it their life's mission to exterminate Christians off the face of the planet. By taking down their kingpin, Jesus, right? 
He would, he would have been on the other side of that. But something happened in his story as he witnessed all that. We're not sure of all the details, but somehow, some way, some shape, some form, the Holy Spirit grabs his heart, and now he's a follower of Jesus. His family had hated Jesus, hated Christians, and now he's a follower of Jesus, and he finds himself in Antioch, worshiping with these brothers. Can you see the grace of God here? It's what God does is he brings people that are broken in lots of different ways together. Church, there's no way that we would all be in Richard's middle school gym this morning if not for the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we agree on that? And God, can, God will continue to add to our numbers in the same way that he has brought us this far uh, if we let the Holy Spirit lead us in this way. It's, it's similar to what we see here. Now, now the big idea of where I want to go with this whole sermon where I think the scriptures lead us, the spirit leads us, is that the saving power of the gospel is the sending power of the church. That when you worship Jesus, you can't help but be on his mission. And so, these people, they all have different forms of brokenness and different cultural backgrounds, and and they, they meet Jesus, and what do they experience? When they meet Jesus, they experience the power of forgiveness in their hearts. Only forgiven people get to inherit eternity. And only people that know they need to be forgiven will accept the love of Christ. And so these men all had this in common. And, and what are they doing in Antioch? They're, they're worshiping Jesus. And they're seeking to please his heart by what they do. And so that's why they're fasting. They're denying themselves so that they can follow Jesus more effectively. Because what... They, what we see about these brothers is this. It's because of who Jesus is, they want to give Jesus everything. Now church, do you think there's other things that Manan or Lucius or Simeon or Barnabas or Paul could be doing? I'm sure there are lots of things that they could be doing. But because of who Jesus is to them and in them, they find themselves fasting and praying in Antioch, seeking, in this house church, they're probably in a house together, seeking to give everything to Jesus. They had other career pathways and pro professions and, and families. They had lots of things that they could be doing, but they're here worshiping Jesus. And they wanted to give Jesus their all. And th this mission church that we're on is to extend the glory of God to the ends of the earth. And we're not going to extend the glory of God to the ends of the earth through our worship of Jesus unless we believe that he is actually everything. If there's something outside of him that is valuable to us, <laughs> that, that, could, that could carry us through eternity, we'll give our lives to that. And, and some of us dabble in those types of things. And, and we have kind of this bifurcated mission that we're on where we're trying to, to keep up with these things on the side but also please Jesus. And what we see is that it's impossible to do both. Jesus would even say that if you're not for me, you're against me. John Piper uh, said this in one of the sermons that he preached. He says, mission exists because worship doesn't. Let's think about that for a second. Mission exists because worship doesn't. 
Have you, have you had a, an encounter with Jesus before? Has he, has he changed you? Has he redirected your life? Has he become everything to you? Because the reason that we're on the mission of God is because we've tasted and seen the glory of God and the forgiveness of sins and the worth that Jesus finds in us and the life that he gives to us. And we can't help, even as David proclaimed this morning, we can't help but give that away to others. That's the mission. It's not so much about where you go, but it's about how you go. And if you go, because we are all sent. There's this passage in Isaiah 6, chapter, or, or chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, that I want to turn to quickly because it's almost like a mirror passage of what's happening in Acts 13. Some of you may be familiar with this, maybe others of you will not. But if you've got a Bible, flip, up, flip back to Isaiah chapter 6 in the Old Testament there. And it'll be on the screen if, if you don't have it. It's this story about this prophet Isaiah and about his encounter with God and how God changes him, how the Lord meets him, and that then changes the direction of his life. Isaiah 6 1 says this In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Now, in Isaiah chapter 1, what Isaiah would tell us is that he had a vision of the Lord. And, and he wrote this vision down. He's a prophet, and it's, it, is, it is for God's people. Uh, and what we also read in Isaiah 7 is that the people didn't want to listen, and God knew that all along. But he still was going to send Isaiah. And so this is the story of how Isaiah got on God's mission. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, these angels, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah... Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, this is Isaiah, Here I am. Send me. Isaiah, like these men in Acts, had an encounter with God. And He's having this vision, and it's like this two-dimensional, you know, he's watching this worship service happen, right? Kind of like we're doing in Acts chapter 13. We're watching this worship service happen, fasting and prayer, sent out by the Holy Spirit. And it's like we can eat popcorn and just watch it, right? We can, we can watch the, the movie. 
But then all of a sudden, it's like when my, my kids, we, we, we took them to like one of those 4D um, shows, right? And so you, you walk in, it was at Stone Mountain or something, you walk in and you think you're watching a movie. The kids, oh, movie theater, this is great. And then all of a sudden, the, the seat starts shaking and they start freaking out. And the water starts spraying on them. They're like, ah! They, they didn't know what was coming. All of a sudden, that's what happens with Isaiah. Is it goes from this two-dimensional kind of nice show that he's watching, and it comes out and it grabs him. And it comes alive in his heart, this, this news that, that God is holy, and that he is sinful. And, and, and most of us know that in here, that God's holy and that we're sinful. That's, there's not really any good news in that. But the problem is, if we, don't know, if we don't really believe that God is holy and we are sinful, we can never get to the good news. The good news is this, is that God is holy, we're sinful, and God still comes and He meets us. He doesn't leave us. And so when the Lord comes and He meets Isaiah, He comes and He sends the angel to touch His lips, and the angel proclaims, Behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away. And then the voice of the Lord immediately does what? Sends him on this mission. So I just want to pause before we go any further in this. Is Christianity a two-dimensional journey for you? Or is it like 4D? Does that make sense? Like, is it two-dimensional where you can kind of just, just sit back and just kind of watch the show and, and participate and it doesn't really inconvenience you and you can go out and you can say, well, the movie was kind of good, but I didn't really like this about it and, you know, whatever. Or have you been invited into it to such a degree that now you are a participant of the story? Those are the best stories, right? The ones that grab you, that pull you in. This is what God is inviting us to. He's inviting us in to participate on His mission because He has given us His Son. So we see that we're sinful and that He's holy. And He says, I've got just the answer. It's my Son Jesus. I'm going to send Him for you so that you can be sent to reach the world. And the mission that you're on is, is really a pretty simple mission. It's to worship Jesus and Jesus alone in everything that you do. And so, coming back to Acts chapter 13, what do we see? The Holy Spirit sends out these brothers. He sends them out. And my, my, my question to you is this. What does your worship, what is your worship leading you to this morning? What is it leading you? Is it leading you on God's mission or is there a different pot of gold at the end of your rainbow? Is there something else that, 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 that has become, uh, you've become aware of that, that really you're on a mission towards something else? Or is Jesus your everything? Because if, if Jesus isn't our everything, we'll have this divided heart that will kind of be about Jesus in this two-dimensional way. It will never really be four-dimensional. Or do I follow this mission over here? Because when Jesus grabs your heart, He changes you. And your heart is warmed by the Gospel because you realize that even though you're sinful and He's holy, He hasn't left you. 
And church, that's, if you don't hear anything else this morning, you should hear that. That Jesus knows you more than you've confessed. He knows you more than you, more than you know yourself. He knows everything about you and he hasn't left you. And that's beautiful news to us this morning. Will, will you let Jesus become your everything this morning? Do you, do you hear the wooing call of the, the four-dimensional invitation to come and participate in the mission of God? So we, we go on in, in Acts chapter 13 here and we see, we see something similar to what I've said, but a little bit unique. To follow Jesus is to be sent. So I think a lot of times we think about the mission of God and we think, okay, there are some people that are sent out and there are other people that aren't. What we see about Jesus, and I'll just kind of skip here to John, John 20 real quick. When Jesus leaves his disciples in verse 21, he says this, hey, peace be with you. They're freaking out because he's, he's, um, he's died, he's, he's resurrected, and he's appearing to them all over the place. And this is where Thomas says, if you're real, let me touch you. Because he shows up in this room that they're in. And, and, and Thomas, is, is, uh, he sees Jesus and he doesn't need to touch him anymore. And he says, my Lord and my God. He, he's, he's converted. He, he, Jesus becomes four-dimensional to him. But the saving grace of Jesus does. And, and, uh, and, and, and what Jesus says as he leaves them is, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So church, what we realize is that we are sent in the same way that Jesus was sent. That there's actually the, the way that Jesus was sent to the world is the same way that we're sent to the world. Now we're not the Savior of the world, He is. But we're to go about our life and our, our mission is to be similar to His mission. It's to be the same as His mission, to give glory to the Father and to make the Son known. So we see in Acts 13, kind of, Rewinding to this, the scriptures say in verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, the other disciples laid hands on them and they send them out. So here's what's going on. They've got the most gifted disciples on the face of the planet all in one place. Like church, you think we've got some good mega churches? I wish I could have heard the preaching at that church. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, so they're all gathered together. And you know what they didn't say? Hey, you know, Barnabas, you take the worship. Paul will give you the preaching. You know, uh, Lucius, you know, you, you can head up the deacons. No, no they, they said, let's not build this empire in Antioch. What are we all doing here? Let's get out of here. Let's be sent. Let's go out. And so the Holy Spirit sends them. And some of them... Never saw each other again. I'm fairly certain of that. Because most of them lost their lives somewhere on the journey for the sake of Jesus. And, and what they said was this, that Jesus matters more than anything and what He has called me to, I will do because He matters the most. He deserves the most. What would it look like, church, for New City Church to continue becoming this type of church? To raise up people and to send them out each week. So we're, we're, we're gathering for worship, but we're scattering for the mission of God. We're being sent to our neighborhoods and our, and our schools and our places of employment and our city. So, so we're being sent that way and we see ourselves as commissioned by the Holy Spirit. Each week after we gather because we've been sent just as Jesus has been sent. But, but not only that, 
what if we would begin to pray for and ask God to send people from our church to other churches? To other ministries? To other cities? To other countries? To proclaim the good news? What if it wasn't about staying and keeping and gathering and accumulating more and more disciples here, but what if it was about sending? Now I get it, a healthy church is going to grow and it's, and it, and it's going to be healthy. You know, it's going to grow, but, but in the same time, if we're not sending, we are dying. Mark Stockera says this, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. What, what if that was the mark? You know, we're looking at, at, at purchasing a building and, and moving into a permanent facility. What if we didn't think about those three or 400 chairs in there and filling those up as many times as we could, as much as we thought about how many people we could send forth from our church? <laughs> Would that be wild or what? It would be so different, wouldn't it? It would be a transition for us all. What will our legacy be as a church? Lots of seats or lots of sent saints? What will it be? Because I think we're, we're poised to be this church, whether we're a church of 500 or 1,000 or whatever God does here, that has to choose to always be uncomfortable and send our best people out. You know, our denomination has this initiative where we're, we're praying that 1% of the people in our churches would go to foreign missions. Now, I get it, Atlanta is a, a very multicultural uh, city, and we get a lot of the experience uh, of, of that here, but I still think we have a commitment to the nations outside of the United States. What would it look like for us to actually begin praying, hey God, would you raise up and send three or four people from New City Church this next year to the world? Would that be wild? What if we prayed for that? What if we asked God to do that? What if we rallied around people who felt called to the world? You know, you know what we wouldn't care about as much if we did that? The color of the carpet, the, the paint on the walls, the construction, you know, the roof missing out there or whatever, you know? Like we wouldn't care as much about those things because we'd be so tunnel vision on the glory of God and, and seeing it permeate the world. The, the mission of God, church, drives the it pulls the church along it keeps us in alignment when we lose the missional heart of God we begin to deteriorate from the inside out when you think about being sent if that's maybe this is a new concept to you this morning maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense to you or maybe you're not yet a Christian and you think man this is kind of strange I want to hear more about it though there are so much of the Bible that will not make sense to you Unless you see yourself as sent. For instance, Romans chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. This is Paul. He says this. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Listen to this language. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Okay, Paul, you're really bothered about something. Like more than just annoyed, like you're burdened by something and it doesn't leave you. What is it that you're burdened by, Paul? For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ. For the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul was so burdened by his call to the Jewish people for them to see the risen and reigning Christ as Lord that he said, I wish I could trade my salvation that they might see him. 
That's never going to make sense in our hearts unless we see ourselves as sent. Paul would say in another place, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so you're, you're willingly making yourself a servant to all, all people, he's saying. That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law. He's saying like, like I know what it's like to be under the law, and I'm going to be generous with those folks, even though I'm not held to that law anymore. He said, I'm going to live like that. I'm going to eat certain things because I know it really bothers them when I, when I, when I use my freedom in, a, in an unrestricted way in their midst. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. That by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. To Paul, the greatest blessing was to see his friends bow their knee to Jesus. And he was willing to sacrifice all those freedoms that he could have for the sake that some might know Jesus. That verse doesn't make sense if we don't see ourselves on God's mission. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Church, just consider this before we go to our last point. How is God already sending you right now? What is it that you are participating in right now in your life? Most of us have to work somewhere. Um, All of us live in a place. All of us were born into a family. We could just start there. God has, I think I'm pretty, I'm on, I'm on uh, sound footing here to say this. God has sent you there. He's sovereign. He sent you there. And so, where we start is not thinking about, okay, God, would you, would you, would you send me, uh, you know, to, to, to Eastern Europe? I mean, maybe God is really clearly calling you there. But he's certainly calling you to those places that you're, you already are. What would it look like for your paradigm to shift and say, God, you've sent me there. Okay, if you sent me there, you've, you've applied the power of the Holy Spirit to help me make much of Jesus there. So, so when you think about, I mean, Megan and I were at the, the pool yesterday with some friends in our neighborhood, none of them followers of Jesus. And as we, as we walked in, I was just kind of like, oh, we've been down this road, let's see how it goes. You know, just kind of in that, it's just kind of my attitude. And you know what God revealed to me? That is such a faithless attitude. It's so faithless to think that, oh, because you couldn't do it on your own, that Jesus isn't into this thing. How many times do we do that when we think about how God has sent us? Same old, same old. Same, it's going to be the same response. The Holy Spirit, when, when, when we walk into these situations, they should make us tremble. Like, there's no way this thing could happen unless for the power of the Holy Spirit. That should be our mantra as we go forth. And and lastly, as we close this out, there's a pattern of gospel ministry that we see. I'm going to share it with you. And we're going to look at these last verses in Acts 13 here. 
I'm going to tell you the pattern real quick. So, so when you realize that you are sent and you say, okay, God, send me. Here I am, send me, like Isaiah. Here's what you should expect. I think this is not only descriptive but prescriptive. We should expect that any, any type of gospel ministry involves proclamation. If the gospel isn't proclaimed, it's not gospel ministry. Next, opposition. So, so the first thing that Paul sees, he proclaims the gospel is not like the red carpet being rolled out. It's like immediately like kind of opposition as they go from Paphos, go through the, the community of Paphos. Opposition, and then we see perseverance. So the Holy Spirit carries them along as they're on this mission. And then what do we see? Fruit. Sergius Paulus, what do we see? He comes to faith, but it's not without perseverance. It's not without opposition. So, so let's, let's dig in just for a few minutes here. Acts 13, uh, 4 and 5. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and, and uh, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue to the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So, so they're being sent out by the Holy Spirit to a place, been confirmed by the, by the church, and, and they've got a mission. This mission that they're on has a message. And without... The message, there really is no mission. And, and I think about this, especially as we think about plowing the hard soil of North American culture. Okay, that, that's kind of been burned over by all of these kind of first and second great awakening. We look at that, God moved in a mighty way, but there was this, there was this, there was this movement of the church that, that, that was good, but, but in some ways it was, it was, it, there, was, there was some falsity that, that, was, that was in the midst of that, and, and now what do we have? We have a bunch of people that are skeptical. So, so we're not walking in and sharing Christ with people, for the most part, that haven't ever heard about Jesus. Instead, we're, we're sharing the gospel with people that can a lot of times tell us a lot about Jesus and a lot of times tell us a lot about what they hate about the church, right? Is that just me or is that you too? Okay, so, so what happens is you get numb to that, don't you? You want to give up. You want to throw in the town. Now, this isn't everyone that we encounter, but this is a lot of people that we encounter, especially in Atlanta. And you know what my tension is? Is, is I say, I'm just going to do the, the kind of deed ministry. I don't, the word ministry, they already know about Jesus. My kids and I were sitting around the table this week, and, and um, we were talking about people that, that maybe we, we could share the gospel with, trying to, trying to help them uh, um, get on mission with God. And, and I would mention like certain friends to the kids. They're like, oh, they already know about Jesus. They don't need to hear the gospel. I was like, how do you know that? They're like, oh, they just do, you know? But how many times do we think the same thing? They don't need to hear the gospel. But here's the problem. Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to, to the Jew first and, and to, also to the Greek. So, so there is no power of salvation without the message of the gospel. So whatever it looks like for us, we, we can know for certain that participation in the, in, in the mission of God involves a proclamation of the gospel. That doesn't always look like a big public thing like this. Uh, sometimes it's, it's a one-on-one -on -one thing. It's this gentle thing. It's just the Spirit just leads you in different ways. But we can know one thing. To be on mission with God is to present the gospel because faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord, as Romans uh, ten seventeen would say. So, so next, we see opposition. So, so when they, uh, verses 6 and 7, when they had gone through the whole island of Paphos, they came upon this certain magician 
and he was a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, and, and uh, he was with the, the proconsul uh, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord from them. So these fellows are making Jesus known throughout Paphos. They meet this really influential guy, this proconsul of the, the Roman government uh, there in Paphos, and and, and as they're there, this guy wants to know about Jesus, but he's accompanied by this other guy who's kind of mocking Jesus. And so they meet this opposition. And, and church, I would say this. That's where most of us stop when we're on God's mission. Me included, okay? I'm, I'm not off the hook here. We meet opposition. We're like, yeah, I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Maybe I'll try next year. Could you imagine if Paul and Barnabas would have stopped? Oh, they, they, they see Elamus there, you know, the magician. And, you know, proconsul seems a little interested, but, man, Elamus there. I mean, they, we can't keep going. I mean, he's there. We know he doesn't like us. He doesn't like our message. I mean, we should just stop. That's where most of us stop. And, you know, the early church father, Tertullian, says this, the first reaction to truth is hatred. <laughs> so what would it look like for us to begin to expect opposition like like opposition comes with being on the mission of God and the thing is is that a lot of times we we take it maybe a little too personal and we get offended and we we just kind of we back off what would it look like for maybe this these scriptures today to change our approach to expect opposition I'm running out of time here I want to quickly finish these last two points the, the third thing is this perseverance. So we see Saul, who's also called Paul, this is verse 9 here, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. <laughs> just, just making conversation, you know. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. Full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And if that wasn't enough, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, midst and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. That's what perseverance looked like for Paul. It might not look the same for us. I don't know. Maybe it will for you. But we've got to stay with it when we're on God's mission. You know, sometimes I think about the people that oppose the gospel, and I, and I get disheartened, I get frustrated, and then, and then God will show me this little glimmer of hope, like three years later, we have this conversation, and now the Spirit's stirring in this person's heart. You just got to stay in the game. Got to stay on the mission. Sometimes God will lead you to other places, but those relationships are not in vain. Hudson Taylor, uh, arguably the greatest missionary that's stepped foot on the planet other than the Apostle Paul who founded the China Inland Mission uh, hundreds of years ago. He said this, I found that there are three stages to every, every great work of God. First, it's impossible. So you think about that person that God's called you to, that, that relationship, and it seems impossible. Okay, you're in a good place is what he wants to tell you. This is what Hudson Taylor says. This. Then it's difficult, and it's like, oh, man, maybe, I don't know. And third, it's done. Are you struggling on God's mission today? You're in a good place. You're probably on the right mission. You're probably being sent by the Holy Spirit if you're struggling on that. Lastly, we see fruit. So in, in Acts 13, 12, we see 
this. Then the proconsul believed, this Roman official, when he saw all that had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Because of the perseverance and the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, this man is converted to follow Jesus. Church, Jesus is so worthy of everything that we have. My prayer for us today is that, that we might give Him more. We might give Him more of ourselves, more of our time, more of our treasure, because He is so worthy. Let's pray together. Father, it is so true that the saving power of the gospel is the sending power of the church. Lord, we pray that we might be warmed by the Holy Spirit today in our hearts, that, that the gospel might become four-dimensional. Our relationship with Jesus might be more than just a movie we're watching. God, would you draw hearts in here this morning? I know in a room this size that there are many that don't follow you or that have this, this kind of two-dimensional relationship with you. And I, I ask, Father, that you would, would move in power as we seek to follow you. Lord, I pray, uh, even as your word has gone out this morning, that your spirit is waking up souls bringing them to Jesus. Help us to make much of your son Jesus because he's so worth it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.